Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Theology. It uh, takes some getting used to. Is, uh, my mother's people were nonconformists, which, if you're familiar, means they do not belong to the Church of England. That's why they came to this country in the first place. Uh, and my great, great, great grandmother was uh, known for her firm convictions. She would bring her own chair to church. <laughs> and if she didn't like something she heard, she would promptly get up reverse the chair, and sit with her back to the minister for the rest of the service. So I enter upon this with some trepidation. Um, though I, I see there's enough space, you should be able to turn around uh, if, if you feel the need. I, I'm a bit embarrassed when Amjad said I'm well-read because uh, today's message, the focus is not anything very erudite. Uh, most, of you, most of you remember the Bugs Bunny cartoons? Yeah, that's, that's where we're at this morning. Because if you remember, you know, who, who was Bugs Bunny's big nemesis? Elmer Fudd, you know. And so Elmer Fudd would go out hunting for bugs, and he would turn there and say, I'm hunting wabbits. And who is immediately behind him following along? Bugs Bunny. <laughs> that's the mental picture I want you to have this morning. Because as I was reading this passage, I was reminded of my experience attending my first Christmas pantomime when I lived in London. If uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the concept, it is a play that's put on between Christmas and New Year's every year in pretty much every town and village. And it's always a children's story, except it is heavily laden with jokes for adults. That this is an all-ages production where nothing, nothing is to be taken seriously. So, for example, one of the great traditions is the role called the dame, which is a female character played by a man. And they do not make any efforts to hide the fact that this is a man. You will see his facial hair. You will, if the wig is off-kilter slightly, see his bald spot. If the skirt is short enough, you'll see his sock garters. And so you are invited to enter into this wacky world and join in. And that's why I'm happy to have the kids here today, because in the course of going through this story, there is a spot for you in this. Because one of the other traditions of pantomime is that one of the characters is either trying to find someone or something, or trying to hide from someone or something. And so... You will allow the indulgence. I will be Little Bo Peep. I'm Little Bo Peep, and I've lost my sheep, and I don't know where to find them. Can you help me? And at this point, cue the first sheep will come bounding on stage, waving to everyone, and we all shout out from the audience, He's over there! Can you ask me that? Okay, yeah, I know, you guys are a little older, sorry. That, you know, and so we call out, yeah, he's over there. To keep this entertained, nothing goes smoothly at first. You know, the character can't hear you, the sheep moves around, and so this continues on for about 10 minutes until finally sheep and Bo Peep are reunited. 
That's what Luke wants you to see. Luke has this taste for the ridiculous. It continues on into Acts. If you are familiar with the story of miraculous escape, Luke is fit to remind us that as Peter gets out of prison, he gets to the place where all the disciples are, knocks on the door, the servant opens the door, sees it's Peter, gets so excited, slams the door in his face, runs back inside, says, hey guys, Peter's here! Except, no, he's still standing outside waiting for you to open the door. He also reminds us of the night Paul gave a really, 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 really long sermon on a hot and stuffy night. Does anybody remember what happened? Yeah, young man, because it was so hot and stuffy, he was desperate to get some air, so he was hiding in the window, except Paul kept going and going and going. You've all been there, right? And he falls asleep, and he falls out the window. Uh, as speakers, we all you know, think, yeah, I just killed it that day. Yeah, I'm sure Luke wanted to make sure Paul remembered that. Why does he want us to have this ridiculous image of these disciples who are bewailing the fact that Jesus is dead and now seems to have gone missing and they're just trudging back home slowly from their Passover. And as in the pantomime or the Bugs Bunny cartoons, there Jesus is. And as we said, we should be out, he's over there! And yeah, the disciples don't get it. Oh no, Jesus happened. He gives us the greatest Bible study in history. The text, he breaks down the entire Old Testament, explaining how it pertains to his life and mission. And Luke just somehow manages to forget to tell us exactly what Jesus said. Uh, and they're going along, and the disciples are excited, and yet they still don't recognize him. That's the funny thing. You look at the resurrected Christ in John's gospel, again, with the gardener. That'd be some tricky way to hold this thing in my face. But it's like Jesus is playing a game with us. He's hiding. And somehow it's up to us to find him, but also to be paid to allow him to reveal himself to us. And why is this? Because Luke opens this passage on a down note. These disciples have spent a tumultuous week in Jerusalem, and they're now going home after a very, very draining week. As they explain to Jesus, we believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was mighty indeed, works. And we thought, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And Luke's language here, the beginning of his gospel, where we have all the prophecies of Zechariah, Mary, Anna, Simeon, that this is the one who is going to redeem Israel. Mary offers us a clue because in the Magnificat, she explains everything is going to be turned upside down. The greatest are going to be brought low. The lowest are going to be raised up. 
They bought into it. They believed. They and in the course of this week, Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, riding on the donkey, throwing down the gauntlet, making a declaration, I am the Messiah. They're excited. Now, this is the moment where the Messiah is here. He's declaring himself. And then they see that the leaders of their people get nervous spend the next several days trying to trip him up. And you watch this verbal battle of wits between Jesus and the leaders of the people. They're trying to get him to say something like, I hate my mother. I don't like apple pie. And Jesus deftly deflects them, makes them look really foolish. But then he goes quiet. He spends those last days with his disciples, and then he's arrested. And it all just seems to go downhill from there. We all watch the movies where the hero gets arrested and seized by the bad guys, and what does he do? He resists. He shouts defiance. He waits for his people to rescue him. And what happens here? Well, Jesus is, first of all, betrayed by one of his closest followers, denied by another, and with the exception of John, the rest of them somehow hightail it out of Jerusalem as fast as they can. He gets hauled before the people. Again, we've all seen the movies where you have the interrogation scene between, oh, I'm thinking Braveheart here, where he's before the king, and you know, they're, they're trying to get him to say stuff, and he shouts forth, you can take our land, but you can't take away our freedom. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't vow for vengeance, call for vengeance. He doesn't attempt to rally the troops. He's mostly silent. And then he's hauled before Pilate, and he does the same thing. The difference here is that Pilate is unnerved by this because he's used to people doing one of two things, either screaming vengeance and spitting in his face or offering to turn state's evidence. And Jesus doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, he's brought out and he just dies. And he dies quickly. I mean, the Romans... Public execution was a public theatrical event. When the gladiator Spartacus rebelled against the Roman government, oh, roughly 50 to 60 years before Jesus, the Romans lined up crosses on every road leading to Rome for miles. Every you know, half mile or quarter mile, there's a cross and there's a body. And they want you to look at that and watch as these people slowly die. Because they want you to know Rome is in charge. Well, Jesus didn't really last long enough for them to do any of that. He was dead within three or four hours. They were shocked. They had to make sure, is he really dead? Well, let's jab him, see what happens. So from the disciples' perspective, they're disappointed. This has not come out the way they expected. This is not what they signed up for. And if you've been walking with God long enough, one, you're going to face disappointment. But two, you're going to discover that God has a very different sense of things compared to us. 
And this story is the proof, is these disciples are pouring out their regret, their frustration, their disappointment. There he is, walking alongside of them. I can almost picture a gleam in his eyes. Jesus turns to the camera and says, can you believe these guys? And that's the point. God is doing something new. It is by dying that Jesus conquers. And not in you know, the heroic movie sense of the hero sacrificing his life to save. He does it in a very passive way. But we come to the point of fulfillment. Jesus spends probably two hours explaining the Old Testament to these followers. They get to where they're, at, where they're going. It's late. They're hungry. Jesus pretends to keep on going, so they invite him to have dinner with them. And something very remarkable happens. The guest does not preside at the meal. You, you, you've all been to other people's homes. You're the honored guest. We, we serve you. No, here, Jesus serves them. Finally revealed. When he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and then he breaks it, and he offers it to them. And that's when they know. Again, the language Luke uses here is exactly the language he uses for the Last Supper. I have no idea if the disciples were there, but they knew at that moment that it is in this that Christ is most revealed to us. That in a few we're going to have an opportunity to come to the altar and have an encounter with God. That through these elements, he brings us to him, he fills us with himself, and he ties us with one another because we are all partaking of the same bread and the same cup. And he wants us to know that he is here with us, that he is walking alongside us. Things may not be going the way we to go, the way we want them to go. And yet, somehow, he makes it work. Because as we are trudging our way along, there he is tiptoeing behind us, waving to the audience, hi, it's me, I'm here, yes. We've been entrusted with some pretty amazing things. Jesus was not known until... He broke the bread. People out there won't know. They may have heard. They may have ideas. They're only going to see him through us. We extend his ministry by going out into the world, whether it's wearing fancy sweatshirts, helping one another, that we have an opportunity to be in a metaphor that broken bread for those around us. And so as we prepare to partake of this great feast, let us rejoice and remember 
and everything else going on around us. There he is! 